Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. My guest on this episode presents an intriguing mix. Some might say, and we'll hear what he has to say about this. He may, he may disagree with this, but some might say he's a study in contradictions. On the one hand, he's been formally recognized as the reincarnation of not one but two Tibetan masters. On the other hand, he's thoroughly steeped in science. In fact, he's worked with scientists to design research to see what kind of impact meditation has on the brain. In one study, uh, he and other experienced practitioners had their brain activity measured while meditating on compassion, and the neural activity in a key center of the brain associated with happiness increased by seven to 800 percent. Researchers said they'd never seen anything like this before. Interestingly, notwithstanding his uh, apparent mental fitness right now, my guest freely admits that as a kid, he suffered from anxiety and panic attacks, something I can relate to. Uh, his full name, he tells me we don't have to use the full name, but his full name is Yonge Mingyur Rinpoche. That last word, Rinpoche, is a Tibetan title conferred upon people viewed as meditation masters. It's uh, sometimes described as being roughly akin to a Ph.D., uh, he's the author of uh, The Joy of Living, Unlocking the Secret and Science of Happiness. Rinpoche, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Did everything, was everything I, I just said reasonably accurate? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> my name, you pronounce my name very well. Did I, I've been practicing all morning. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to meet you. We have, um, as we were discussing before we started uh, uh, recording, uh, we have mutual friends. Yes. Um, people who I really, really respect. Um, including um, the really eminent scientist, Richie Davidson, uh, who was a student of yours and really encouraged me to to look into your work and to meet you. Um, So it's a pleasure to meet you in person. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you, too. Um, There's so many things I want to ask you, but in in your book, you say as a child, quote, anxiety accompanied me like a shadow. Yeah. So what was going on for you? Yeah, uh, actually, I was born in the northern part of Nepal, right in the middle of Himalaya mountains. So I have very nice environment, mountain, and my family is very, very loving and kind. But I don't know why I have this panic attack. So it's following me as like shadow. So I was looking for a lot of solution, and I play with my friend children's try to, um, you know, when when you were a child, we make castle, sand castle, mm-hmm. some kind of small <coughs> house. I know how to make bow and arrow, you know, mm-hmm. when I was young. And basically fear about the snowstorm. That was your fear, snowstorm? Yeah, snowstorm and firework. And I cannot go into the car. As soon as I'm getting near the car, I feel nervous, you know. And sometime morning, wake up, my heart is jumping and sweating. I don't know why I have this panic. First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, just wake up and feel like my my heart is boiling, boiling. You know. How little were you when this was happening? Mm, around eight, nine, somewhere eight, nine years old. So then, I my father was a great meditator, and my grandma, grandpa, they all meditate. So when I look at them, they feel. So calm, peaceful, just like mountain. So I thought, I want to learn meditation from my father. 
when I was nine years old. But then I thought I'm too young. Maybe I'm stupid. <laughs> my father don't want to teach me. And I asked my mom, you know, what do you think? Should I ask my father to teach me meditation or not? And my mom said, very happy. Yes, great. But then I told my mom, please wait. Until my last decision, last minute decision, I mean the final decision, don't ask my father. But she already asked my father. And my father asked me, do you want to learn meditation? I said, yes, of course, but who told you? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, my mom already told him. So then I tried to learn meditation from my father, and my father told me that don't look the peace in the external reality. Don't look for peace in external reality? Yeah, don't look for peace in the external reality. The lasting happiness is within us. So that was a really, really benefit. And from there, I tried to learn meditation. But um, I like the idea of meditation, but I don't like the practice of meditation. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people feel that way. <laughs> I feel like I'm very lazy. And when I meditate, it's okay for a few seconds, a few minutes. But then my panic comes back again. Then I give up. So I was struggling for five years. Then when I was uh, 13, I was in northern India, place called Shirabling Monastery, very big monastery. And there's one of the, my important guru, Tai Sit Rinpoche, my teacher. Tai Sit Rinpoche. Yeah, Can I just interrupt you for one second? Because yes. I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit here. Because at the age of, as I understand it, at the age of 13, yes. you went on a three-year meditation retreat. Yeah, yeah. That was the, there's a traditional three-year retreat going to start there in Shirabling Monastery. Sherabling. Sherabling Monastery. Yes. It's near Dharamsala, you know? Uh, that's where the, the, the Dalai Lama lives. Dalai Lama, yes. Lama yeah. residential from there, two hours by car. It's just near. And then I thought maybe I should join the traditional three-year retreat, solitary retreat. At this point, you're still having panic attacks. Still I have panic attacks. Since uh, I've been meditating nine years old, nine, ten, eleven, twelve for five years. So I'm it wasn't still. a quick fix. It wasn't like you started meditating oh, and no. everything was fixed. Yeah. No, no, no. Why would your parents... I know that your father was a great meditation master. Yes. Uh, I've heard I've, I've heard his name many times. Um, remind Tulku me. Tulku Urgen Rinpoche. Rinpoche. Yes. Right. I was reluctant to say it because I thought I would screw it up, uh, and <laughs> I did. Um, but why would they say, okay, yeah, son, you can go on a three-year meditation retreat? Um, <clears throat> I asked. I mean, uh, I thought maybe it's good for me because I'm lazy, you know. <laughs> so I thought if I go to that three-year retreat, then my lazy will not be there. So then I really want to go. First, I asked my father to ask them, to give permission to go to three-year retreat, and he did. Then I went to retreat. Was it unusual for a 13-year-old boy to be on a retreat? Yeah, normally it's, it's quite young, I mean. Um, this is why I'm a little bit hesitate. I cannot ask to Taishitrumpuche directly because I'm again too young. So I approached my father to I ask Taishitrumpuche. To, to ask Taishitru Rinpoche, the guy who runs Sherabling, yeah. uh, the monastery. Yeah. But were you, I fear that this is a very Tibetan thing. You're being modest here. Um, uh, you must have shown some 
proficiency as a meditator in order for your father to recommend you to this yeah, eminent yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they all say i'm meditating good or since you're child you've been meditating is so nice you understand very well but i thought mm, they are maybe you know pleasing me maybe i'm not so perfect mm, and still i am panic you know were they concerned about your panic attacks or did they think um that was normal no my father said it's okay you can go to retreat and um they're worried about my my panic of course they my my both my father and mother they all concerned about my panic but they didn't think that you having panic attacks was a sign that you weren't a good meditator no i mean i'm practicing meditation and you know when we learn meditation what we call is experiential lineage so we have to report every time and then once you get experience then i get next teaching so therefore, my father said, I'm doing very well. So I'm just going to elaborate on that because some of our listeners don't know much about uh, uh, meditation reports. Yes. So yes. Uh, when you say it's an experiential lineage, yeah. it, meaning that in the lineage in which you were learning how to meditate, yes. the tradition is to give a report of your experience to your teacher on a regular basis. So you yeah. would tell your teacher, in this case your father, yeah. about how your meditation was going, yes, and, yes, and yes. it sounded like you were doing really well, yeah. even though you were having panic, panic. attacks. Yes, yes, so yes. he said, okay, go on the three-year meditation yeah. retreat. Yeah. And when you went off on this retreat, could you, were you, could you see your family during this time, or were you off? Cannot, cannot see. Uh, I, my, <coughs> brother, my brother sometimes come to meet me once in a while. Otherwise, is it kind of like a compound? where there's two doors, one is front, one is side, and we cannot go out of that drawer. But we have small garden in front here, and each one individual room, we have group prayer hall, so sometimes we pray together. There are 18 of us. So, Wow, 18 people, three years, yes. and you're in this compound. Yeah. That's intense. Very tense, very tense. And we need to wake up very early morning. You wake up early in the morning? Yes. So how did it go for you? You're 13, you're still having panic attacks, you're... you're yeah, I mean, I don't mind to wake up early morning, I don't mind to do all these things, but the, my panic is sometimes comes, sometimes we have group prayer, we pray together in the hall, and sometimes we use music instrument, you know, in sometimes in Tibetan prayer, could be very loud, we have the cymbals and drum, bang, and so many, you know, sometimes I cannot... Continue. So when I have panic, I have to leave the prey. So it's very serious. So the main thing is that my lazy still follow me, even in the retreat. <laughs> I thought, you know, I can escape from the lazy. But <laughs> 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 the worst, my lazy and my panic, they too become friends. <laughs> oh, really? They became friends? No, they become friends, yeah. So then what happened is I thought, okay, now i really going to accept my panic. Because until then, what I thought is, I'm going to get rid of my panic. So there's two things. Resist, which is fear of panic, what I call panic of panic. Sometimes I have the belief in my panic. You know, I listen. So what I call, yes, sir, and hey, get out. Mm. So these two things. It's just like when you drive the car, you have gas and brake, right? So without gas and brake, you cannot drive car. So the main trigger or main the cause for panic for me is try to get rid of panic or sometimes I listen to panic. 
So then what I did is, of course, I received a lot of teaching from my father and other teachers, which is making friends with the panic. So first, I accept my panic. Okay, I'm going to learn how to live with my panic. I'm going to face with my panic. So then I used my panic as support for my meditation. So normally the meditation is your mind be aware of your breathing and then visual object, sound, smell, taste, sensation. Then you can be aware of thought and emotion. But you need to practice step by step. At the beginning, you cannot watch panic. So if you be aware of panic, become overwhelmed. But if you have some experience before, in the end, you can use panic as support for meditation. Meditation. It's another thing to be aware of. Yeah, just like your breath. So then, when you see the panic, what we call if you see the river, that means you are out of river. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you fall into river, carried by river, you cannot see it. If you see, that means there's space between you and panic. You are free. So then I really apply that for intensively for three days, stay in my room alone, not join group prayer. Then after that, I have breakthrough. My panic really become my friend. But once panic become my friend, panic is gone, you know. Panic doesn't have good heart, so it's gone. <laughs> really? So, so you're making me realize how far I have to go because I have panic disorder and right. uh, it's definitely not my friend. Um, and, you know, I've been meditating, I don't know, seven years, but not, I'm not, uh, you know, we come from very different cultures <laughs> and, and um, I didn't start when I was nine. Uh, and I can be aware of my breath. I can be aware of sights and sounds. But panic yes, is too yes. much. Yeah. And so... So normally what we call this first step with the panic. First, you watch, but sometimes cannot. It's overwhelmed. So then you don't watch. So try something different. Meaning, don't watch panic, but create another emotion. When I was young, I create anger. So anger is kind of different than panic. So I use anger as support for my meditation. Be aware of anger. So then I, it's okay, then become successful, feel happy. Mm-hmm. So then slowly, slowly, I came to watch the panic. So even that doesn't work sometimes. So but let me interrupt you. Yes. So you're saying, so you would feel panic come on, and you would say, all right, I can't be with the panic, yes. so I, I, will, I will bring up anger. Yeah. But I can, so I can be with that. Yeah. So if I, you're saying, so if I feel, if I'm... Uh, I have to go get an MRI. Do you know what an yes, MRI? Yes, yes, you do because you've been in an times, MRI machine. Yes. So you, I have to go get an MRI. That yeah. creates a lot of panic yes. for me. So you were saying get in, when I get in the MRI machine yes. and I start to feel panic, yeah. bring up anger yeah. and pay attention to that instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay attention to that. So bring up anger and be aware, aware of anger. So once you do that, you build up some kind of habit of uh, practice with the negative emotion, what we call like um, strong emotion. So then slowly, slowly, you can aware of panic a little bit. Three seconds, okay. Mm-hmm. Boom, panic, come back, same as normal. Okay, there you go. And another way is you change your focus. Maybe when you have panic, your mind focus on your breath. You focus on anger or you focus on breath. Sometimes focus on the sound. When you feel panic, focus on the sound. Panic, sound. Panic, sound. So these two things, what we call, try something different. So by doing that, then you build up the, what we call, like 
power of the awareness, the mind, the focus, the meditation become more and more clear for you, then eventually you can aware. But sometimes, even you do that, doesn't work. Then what we call step back. Step back meaning look at behind the panic. So maybe panic or panic, resistance, aversion, and don't like the panic. These things sometimes more stronger than panic. So don't watch panic. Watch the emotion behind the emotion. Try to see. That's what we call step back. And sometimes that doesn't work. What do you do? Take a break. <laughs> uh, maybe walk, read a boring book or whatever book. <laughs> do some physical exercise, and you come back again. Try a little bit meditation. After the break, did you have times when you didn't have any food, or were of course, they? Of course, the first month I almost died. You almost died after this. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. There's a new answer for people in need of serious pain relief. Lidocare has created a one-of-a-kind pain relief patch that blocks pain for up to eight hours. With the only non-water-based lidocaine patch on the market, Lidocare uses patent-pending technology to desensitize aggravated nerves for an odor-free, ultra-flexible, dry, and light solution to pain. The Lidocare Pain Patch from the makers of Blue Emu. For long-lasting relief, you can wear. Available at CVS. So... You had a breakthrough, and you you felt like the panic went away, and, yes. but you you stayed on retreat, and and, yes. uh, and you, as I understand it, you you uh, kept doing more of these long retreats. Yeah, yes. So I did uh, finish the three year and three months, what we call that's finished, complete finish, and after that I wanted to do more retreat, and my father said maybe do some study. So I did traditional Buddhist study for what we call philosophy study, yes. Mm -hmm. And at what point did you decide that you were going to become a teacher? Just finished my retreat. My retreat teacher, very important. He's 84 years old. He passed away. Salji Rinpoche, another another Tibetan name. (laughs) What is his name again? Salji Rinpoche. Salji Rinpoche. Yeah, he's my... Retreat teacher, mm-hmm. very, very nice. He's a very great meditator. So he passed away. 
So then head of the, our monastery, Tai Sidrumbuchi, recommend me to do next three years to teacher. He, at age 16? At 17. 17? Yeah, end so of 17. You ran the next retreat? Yeah, I did. So you, you, mu- you must have been viewed as a prodigy. I don't know. I told Daisutumji, maybe I'm too young. I don't have good experience. What do you think? He said, I know you can do it. So then I accepted. And what did the other monks think? Did they think, well, who's this happy. kid? They're happy, but... In my retreat, all those, then mm, I think 19 of them, and all of them from peop- above 25 to 60 years old. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, child and teaching to the parents. But they're all quite happy. And, but I, although that time I don't have much, too much things to say, like, just follow whatever in the text, whatever they have special instruction. I just follow that. That's quite okay for me. But then, end of that year, I'm joined to. I'm already joined the the philosophy school. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning so many new things. The second year, then I'm become more confident and more experienced. I I can teach more. So they're all very happy and they all kind of respect. For, uh, so no one complain. It's pretty amazing. It's really amazing. And I don't think, I, I worry that our listeners won't really understand how amazing this is because you are, and I said this earlier, this is a very Tibetan thing, Yeah. very modest. And if you talk to the Dalai Lama and say, hey, are you a good meditator? He'll say, no, I'm a terrible meditator. It's right. just the way, in your culture, it's a, modesty is a, is a, is a big deal. Right. But, uh, so I will say it so you don't have to, but you really were viewed as a prodigy, and it is extremely rare for a 17-year-old kid to be running uh, a, a retreat of this nature with – these were advanced meditators in mm-hmm. the retreat, and you were their teacher. So, uh, And you went on to uh, – obviously, you're sitting here. You're How old are you now? Uh, 40. 40. Yeah. You look like you're 20. Oh, um, thank you very much. It, <laughs> you make me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, and you've been teaching uh, for all of these years and also doing long Since. retreats your own, yeah. on your own. Um, and I know that you actually recently finished a long retreat, which I want to talk to you about. But, but first, let, let me, let's talk a little bit about science. Yes. Because in between doing long retreats and teaching long retreats, yes. you, you got interested in science. How did that happen and, and – uh, and and where and when did it happen? Yeah. So when I was young, around nine years old, there's some good scientists. Like one one of my friend is called Francesco Varela. He's a eminent neuroscientist. Yes. 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 He came to Nepal to learn meditation from my father. So back then, I'm kind of like naturally interested in science. And that time, I'm interested more about stars, galaxies, how far they are, how big they are. <coughs> and there's a lot of new findings about the atom, subatomic particle, proton, neutron, all these things, you know. So I asked him about physics. And he told me something a little bit about these galaxies. And also he told me a little bit about the brain. So one thing I remember, still remember, is he told me the brain can sense and feel everything, but brain doesn't brain itself doesn't have sensation. So if you want to do operation on your brain, no need anesthesia. Hmm. So, <laughs> so I was thinking, wow. <laughs> so 
and then I finish. I did the retreat. I told you, and after that, I'm I'm joined traditional college, Buddhist traditional Buddhist college. So which is, you have to morning you have to listen, then you have to contemplate, and then in the evening you have to debate. You know, like clapping the hand like this and debate in loud voice, and you can debate about everything. So this is very similar as modern modern science. You know, the, in the debate, you can debate about everything. And the real meaning about the debate is to see the nature of reality. And the modern science also see the nature of reality. What Buddha said, don't take my words. Just that I say so, you have to examine, contemplate, and meditate. Then you can take it. That's why words. I like the Buddha, because right. I'm, I don't, I'm not a big fan of being told to take things on faith. Yeah, yeah. So... Therefore, it's kind of like basic nature in, in Tibetan Buddhism. We are really interested about explorer and so then there's a lot of stuff in modern science. When I was, um, that was in 1998, I first came to USA. So I was teaching meditation that time, and I at the same time I want to meet some scientists. If there's any scientists who came to my talk, I try to make converse, conversation with them and talk. And then they all give me a lot of um, tapes. And that time, there's a big, you know, no DVD, no, no what. Oh, VHS tapes. Yeah, very yeah. big one, big books. And when I go back to India, I have one pile of <laughs> those tapes. And I went to, I brought all this into my monastery, and then I watched there also in the monastery, try to understand. So then, 2003, I came to. And we have Mind and Life meeting, you know? Mind and Life Institute, which is, let me just explain to people, Mind and Life Institute was founded in part with the Dalai Lama. Yes. Uh, and the goal was to use modern scientific um, uh, techniques to look at what contemplative practices, meditation, et cetera, yes. does to the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so I joined time to time that meeting. And from that meeting, I came to, uh, I want to dis- I decided to be guinea pig. A guinea pig. Yes. In 2003, I went to um, Wisconsin with, uh, you know, Dr. Richard Davidson. Dr. Richard Davidson, uh, who is going to be on the podcast soon. And he was actually on our first podcast. The first podcast we did was with uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Richie Davidson oh. at the University of Wisconsin. And uh, Richie didn't get to talk much because I because uh, I focused most of my questions on, uh, on the Dalai Lama. But right. uh, Richie's a friend of mine, and Richie is really been the guy at the forefront of, of investigating <laughs> yes. what meditation does yes. to the brain. Yes. And in one of his, and I talked about it a little bit in the introduction, one of his seminal uh, studies was taking a bunch of really experienced meditators, yourself included, and looking right. and, and you know putting electrodes on your head while you meditated and put yes. you in, putting you inside of MRI tubes while you meditated. Yes. And the results were really, really interesting. Yes, yes. So, so since 2003, uh, I've, been, I've been there... And I became guinea pig. At the same time, we did a lot of um, kind of like discussion, and I asked Richie about the brain, all this perception, all this stuff. So I learned a lot. So therefore, I'm really deeply interested in the science. And what do you think? Uh, what do you think? What, do you, what is the importance to you of, of the mix of science and contemplative practice? Why is this so? What's the value in your view? Yeah, for me, 
there are many parallel between science and uh, the view of Buddhist, Buddhist philosophy. For example, about the atom, about the perception, about the how our mind works, like brain and all these things. So, but we are talking like using different language, different metaphor, different aspect. So in Buddhism, we investigate. It's kind of like thought experiment. So we do debate, we contemplate, and then we meditate. Then we can get some experience. The experience is kind of like result of the te- test, kind of a laboratory. By doing all this, contemplate, uh, receive teaching, contemplate, debate, and meditation, then we got some experience. So then we go to the more further, deeper level. But in modern science, you have many computers nowadays, right? <laughs> so you can do things, a uh, lot of things in the computer, and then a lot of finding is very similar as we are talking about in Buddhism. So therefore, it's kind of fascinating, and to, for me, it's kind of like so happy to see these things, even though we are talking something, but no, we are talking something, but different. Terms. And what Dalai Lama said, like modern science is like intelligent brain, and the Buddhist meditation is kind of like more warm heart. Mm-hmm. So, inter- intelligent brain and warm heart together, then also we can maybe help for the society, for the bigger um, society, and for the world. Because if you can prove the benefits of meditation to the brain. Yes. Um, and to other parts of the body, then maybe the rest of the world will yeah. adopt these practices. Yeah, and, and yeah, in science, there's a lot of findings, but they m- may not have the method. For example, you can find about the mind, what we call monkey mind, perception, the restless mind, what the emotion comes, but there's no, um, so much practice how to deal with that. So in Buddhist meditation, we have a lot of things about that. And therefore now I'm making kind of like Special course in Buddhism, we have many ancient meditation techniques, which is one to make available for everybody. So you don't have to become Buddhist. And these techniques can practice everybody, and no need particular belief, no need particular belief in Buddha or any other religion. So therefore, now I'm trying to how to focus on this teaching, what I call joy of living. So I wrote book Joy of Living. Yes. And connected with that, there's Joy of Living uh, workshops. So level one, level two, level three, all these three levels, all these are connected with the awareness, level one, love and compassion, level two, the wisdom, level three, yes. So I'm interested, I said at the beginning that you are in some ways a study in contrast because you are so deeply involved in science and yet... um, and maybe you don't see these things as a contrast, so mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd, I'd like to hear you out on this. And yet, you are part of a, a tradition where reincarnation is a, is, right. is a big part of the tradition, and yes. you are, uh, have been uh, officially uh, identified as the reincarnation of two previous right. meditation yeah. masters. So where is the evidence for that? How, do you, how does that align mm-hmm. with your allegiance with, um, with, uh, with science? Yeah, the I have two brain actually. So some of the one brain say I want to eat pizza and another brain say I have coffee and I'm fighting in between. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I mean reincarnation. What we believe, like mm, we all have this uh, enlightened nature. So, in Buddhism, what we believe is basic innate goodness. So everybody has basic innate goodness, and the nature of everybody is good and is pure, and it is uh, awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in another way. Everybody is kind of like incarnated. Everybody is the precious uh, person. So, but uh, yeah, me recognize as kind of incarnated, and I don't have so much kind of like thinking about those things. And it's not so important that whether I recognize or not. But what I like is I like the practice Buddhism meditation, and this really helped me. For example, like my panic is kind of like changed my life and also saved my life. My life, so therefore, all these things are very important. The Buddha said, "Don't worry too much about past and future, past life, future life, whatever." So this life is very important. The future, present life. So if you go into the forest, and if you shot by poison arrow, first thing what you have to do is take out the poison arrow. Don't look for. Where's this poison arrow come from? Who shot me? So if you look around, don't take care of poison arrow now. You will die. So that's the what Buddha suggests. You know. Yes. So are are you saying that you? This is part of your culture. Um, you don't know whether it's literally true, but it's a nice tradition. Or, or? yeah, it's a nice tradition. I mean, it's not like I'm against of that. I mean, I'm happy and and kind of like balance. What we call mind, don't be too tight. Have to need a proof or scientific proof. So we may not have that scientific proof. But when we do meditation, of course, there's a lot of good experience by doing meditation. I have some kind of like how to say practice which is related with my previous meditation practice or whatever they do. If I do that, I am more beneficial. I feel like really helping me. Uh, all these connections there. And then, plus that, normally we don't talk too much about, like I know my past life, I know my my future life, or I have special quality, power, clairvoyance. These are the not so important. So we don't talk too much about those things. Well, you said something there that could have slipped by, so I just want to get into it in just a second because you said that when you do practices associated with previous yeah. Mingyur Rinpoches. Right. Um, that you you feel more connection. You do feel a connection to yeah. these, and so you, th- I guess, in some ways, you have this uh, a feeling that maybe this is true. Yeah, yeah, right. You're right. No proof, but a feeling. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes. Um, there's a. I sometimes argue with my meditation teacher. Yes. Um, I, you may have met him. Is a guy named Joseph Goldstein? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Joseph is my meditation teacher, and, and from uh, IMS. Yes, I yes. met him many times. Oh, yeah, you've been to the Insight yes. Meditation Society up at yes. 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 So, we sometimes uh, have debates about metaphysical uh, issues. Yes, and I make fun of him for believing in things that he can't prove, and right. he tells me that the right attitude is to have a mind of not knowing. Right. I'm just saying, okay, so I don't know, but I'm not shutting it down, and I'm not saying it's true. It's a, yeah. it's a balance between the two. True, true. That's true. That's very important. So some people said, we don't want to believe against. Some say we have to believe. 
But the Buddha said balance. So whatever you say, yeah, that's important. And another thing is, as you said, in Tibetan tradition, even you ask, even they know, they will never tell about whatever your experience, past life, even they have memory, past life, normally it's not allowed to tell. You mean, so if you had memories of your past lives, you wouldn't be able even to tell I have, me. I will not tell you. Of course, I don't have, but even I have, <laughs> I will not tell you. Why not? Uh, this is kind of like, kind of commitment. Commitment, what we call Commitment, it. yeah. yeah. So, for example, when we meditate, they might have many different experiences. Maybe you might have special experience, but if you tell to others, it becomes showing off. It may become cause of ego, may become cause of selfish, so it could be danger. Danger for the ego. I see. So therefore, we have to moder- moder- how do we want it? modify? Yeah, m- moderate. Oh, moderate, yes. Yeah, have to be humble. It's very important. But do you discuss it with your fellow monks? Yeah, we can discuss it with our teacher and with the fellow, what we call um, spiritual brother and sister mm-hmm. who receive same teaching, practice same thing, we can share it among us. Well, th- I'm glad you brought this up because one of, um, I will admit that I, and I've I've said this before, right. so I, I will admit I have a little bit of a bad attitude about well, about many things, but right. in particular, a little bit of a wariness around Tibetan Buddhism right. because it does involve a lot of uh, metaphysical right. Stuff that you know. So so does I mean I practice Theravadan Buddhism, which right. is, there's plenty of metaphysical stuff in Theravadan Buddhism too. Right. But generally speaking, it's easier to kind of strip away. There's no robes. There's right. uh, yes. in, at least in, in as it's practiced in the West. Yes. You know, Joseph is just like a normal yes. seventy year old Jewish guy. <laughs> um, so, uh, but Richie Davidson, our friend, has tried to, and other friends of mine have said that. Um, I'm missing out. Uh, that by my uh, my closed-minded attitude is is um, is blinding me to things of real value potentially right. for me. Right. Um, but w- one of the issues I have is that there is th- there's this whole tradition in Tibetan and practice of you know tantra, these yes. sort of secret yeah. rituals yeah. that you don't discuss with you know civilians like yeah. regular people like me. So. That makes me a little suspicious. Why is is that all because of the ego concern yeah. you were raising Mainly before? Mainly the ego. Mainly the ego concern. So, in the past, there are some uh, when you meditate. Sometimes there's something experience comes. You know people's mind, and you have some special capability. So if you do that, then in the end you become bad person. I mean, the it's become like what we call a like mara. Mara mm-hmm. meaning evil. Yeah. So evil might have those possess those things. So, but without having kind compassion, humbleness, all this, then these things are useless, right? So sometimes people, they think, oh, if you meditate, you can fly. Fly is not so important. Nowadays, everybody can fly, right? <laughs> so I flew from <laughs> India to here <laughs> with the more than um, 300 people. <laughs> what is the role of prayer in Tibet? Why is prayer important and who are you praying to? So the prayer, what we call the body, speech, mind, the speech to pray. So the word has special power. W- once you put into the word, then many things come together. And then, for example, <clears throat> if you write something, in order to write, you have to first think, and then you have to ask your body to come up that whatever the word you are saying, 
and that's image, there's a visualize, I mean, imagination, there's the motivation, there's the body movement, and they influence all your body. So it's a kind of like that if you praise something, and we believe that it has some kind of positive, if you pray good thing, then there's positive interdependent connection. Just like maybe uh, the butterfly in USA may cause a huge what earthquake in Japan? <laughs> yes, or a hurricane. Similarly, yeah, yes, yeah. Interdependent. Yes. But so, are you praying to a deity, or are you praying to? You can pray to Buddha. You can pray for other sentient beings. Two things. One, you need to pray like deity or Buddha. One, no need to pray to deity. One, just pray for other sentient beings. And third aspect, which is you pray for, you pray with your true nature. Your nature, Buddha nature. So you don't need a particular deity. You don't need a particular high su- supreme being which is which fulfill your meaning of prayer. You just connect with your true nature. Yes. What is what is the role what is the role of women in, in Tibetan practice? The women in Tibetan Buddhist what we call um there's a wisdom and method. So the the woman is the wisdom aspect. The male is the method aspect. And these two are like two wings of birth. For example, shamata is the male aspect. Vivashana is female aspect. Just, shamata is, con- is, base- is often yeah, yeah, translated as concentration yeah. meditation. Yes. Vipassana is insight or wisdom, wisdom. Meditation. meditation. But does that mean, because you don't see a lot of female teachers in the Tibetan tradition. Yeah, there's a, um, in Tibet we have triyana, Tibetan triyana. So henyana, mahayana, bhajayana. But the Tibetan triyana, henyana, many people they say similar as Theravada, but not similar. Some is similar, some not similar. But in Tibetan Henyana, mm, we have both, but men focus for the male aspect. Mayana, both equal. Bajayana, female quality, more aspect. So therefore, there's some kind of like general culture dominated by Henyana. So there's a lot of like Vinaya and then and then ancient culture before the Dharma came to Tibet is the male dominant. So therefore, there's a lot of male dominant. But now, and and also, eight hundred years back, there's so many female teachers in Tibet. Also, a lot of nunnery, big nunnery, and then after some time, it's become like quiet. Hmm. So now we all try to re, kind of like rebuild. So there's a focus on bring, rebuilding the uh, the role of women in the yeah. teaching uh, infrastructure. Yes. So. Um, so t- tell me a little bit about the joy of living. Uh, pr- is it an institute or what, what's the name? You you teach My in the West, yeah. Terigar, 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 yeah, Terigar, and T E R G A R. And so, if people want to learn from you, they yes. can look up Terigar.org. Terigar.org. Yes. And these, can you give me a sense of what the practices are? So, because we've been talking about sort of. Mm, uh, what I would call deep end of the pool prayer and uh, reincarnation, but a, a lot of what you teach is actually quite down to earth. Yeah. So what I teach there in Dergar, we have two main programs. One is Joy of Living workshops. Second is Path of Liberation 
workshops. The path of liberation. Yeah. yeah. Path of liberation is more connected with the Buddhist. And joy of, li- joy of living is for secular basis. So the first one is calming the mind. So bringing your mind or recognizing your mind, your own awareness. So what we believe is everybody has basic innate goodness. So all these qualities are within us all the time. So normally, sometimes when I give teaching, I ask to the audience, how many of you think that you have awareness? So half of audience raise hand. And the other half say, I don't have awareness. Then I'm telling that that is the sign of awareness. Because <laughs> if you raise your hand, of course, you're aware that you have awareness. And those who said, I don't have awareness, you're aware that you don't have awareness, right? So awareness with us all the time. But the problem is we don't recognize normally. We don't recognize our own awareness. So the joy we live in level one is introduce awareness and then practice. Nurture your own awareness, connect it with your awareness. Then eventually, like you can be aware of form, sound, smell, taste, sensation, five sensory objects. So everything becomes support for awareness. And slowly, thought and emotion. So mainly joy of living is kind of like you live your life joyful with under any circumstances, under any uh, situation. So you can meditate everywhere, anytime, even two or three seconds while you're talking, while you're walking at your office, doing exercise. So that's the main thing about the joy of living. So what we call finding happiness, finding joy everywhere and anytime. And level two is opening heart. So it's about love and compassion. Again, we all have love and compassion. So we want to be happy, don't want to suffer, right? All of us, all of us. Every minute, every breath, every movement, every eyes blink, is looking for happiness. Mm-hmm. And that is actually love. The essence of love is want to be happy, want to be good, want to see good, but maybe you might not know the real causes of the happiness. So, but actually, the love is there and want to free from sufferings, compassion. So I try to introduce again, which is you already possess. And from there, then practice, nurture your own love and compassion and expand to all living beings. So that's the level two. And level three is the wisdom. So we all have innate wisdom. So deep of the, our heart, we know impermanent. We know um, interdependent, all these things, right? And even we know that our true nature is good, somehow, deep of heart. And we know that so many things about our life. So in the end, the real meaning of wisdom is go beyond of concept. So that's the level three. So, but it doesn't mean beyond concept means you cannot feel things. You cannot, you know, uh, you cannot see the, what is good, what is bad, and you become completely like a zombie. It's not like that. <laughs> so you, how to say, the unhealthy sense of self will liberate but the healthy sense of self will manifest. And do you 
do your students is your goal to to bring them to enlightenment and what do you think of, what do you think enlightenment even means for the jive living the goal is to have better human being healthy human being calm kindness human being so that's all but there's not too much thinking about enlightenment or not but if meaning of enlightenment is totally recognize your true nature so buddha said what is the real meaning of enlightenment meaning you completely fully recognize your true nature it's nothing that you need to go to somewhere or you become like mm, you can fly or <laughs> not like that do you see do you know anybody who's totally recognized their true nature i mean many people they what we call they are practice which is recognize nature of mind so we have especially in part of liberation we have special introduction about nature of mind many people recognize in the west also of course we do in the tibetan tradition some many people in the west many people recognize nature of mind and feel very happy and they change their life even they change their personality also so i've been seeing them many times so so happy to see and meet those people yes what what do you what's the difference for you between the type of students you get in the west and the type of students you get in the east um normally what i call in the east more follow with the faith faith at the beginning yes yeah. in the west more follow with the wisdom uh intellectual beginning so why how what when but in the west this one this one next and this one you have to do like that so more how to say in east more kind of like package I mean the delivery in the west more co 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 cooperate mm-hmm. collaborate kind of a process student and teacher try to see yeah so the students here are probably more of a pain in the butt they ask you difficult questions they need you to um, explain things more yeah. they don't just take it on faith yeah 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 yes yes more question which is i like you like which, it yeah which is we have to do in buddhist in general we have to ask any question and we have to debate about anything And so even though you're teaching all over the world you still have a very active practice as I understand it you just finished a a long retreat your of your own Yeah how long four and a half four and a half years Yeah so you just stepped out of all of your teaching Yeah I actually I just leave from my monastery without having money and no plan and no friends and uh, no nothing Wait uh, wait so you left your monastery Yeah with no money no nothing nothing Asian only people. at the beginning only a few thousand rupees maybe 5 6000 rupees in the rupees that's all and this is in nepal india india I, okay I, india. yeah in the midnight at midnight yeah. and a few thousand rupees just that's not in in india that's not a lot of money yeah and so and for four and a half years you just lived uh, yeah. live without any plan without any plan for food i be- i you know baking baking the food by yourself by myself yeah So what we call this a uh, traditional another is wandering retreat. So I did before three year retreat is solitary retreat, right? This one is a wandering retreat. Wandering retreat meaning no particular money, no fixed plan, no shelter, no resident and just go. Did you did you have times when you didn't have any food or they of, of course the first month I'll almost die. You almost died. Yeah, yeah. Because I just <laughs> I I was naive, you know. Normally I call I'm like Dharma prince. <laughs> so I have a lot of things all this 
I never stay on street even one hour before. But I have this um, idea in, in my mind I wanted to wandering retreat. So I just left. So then I stay, I move from my, I went my monastery and go to the train station nearby there. And from there I bought the cheap train to another place, holy place called Waranasi. So I stay there on the street in the ra- railway station for three days. So first I feel very embarrassed. I don't mind there's no perfect ma- matter, matters, you know, no utility, no, but just feeling nervous. Then I, I mean embarrassed, not nervous, embarrassed. So then end up I went to another holy place called Kushinagar, the way Buddha passed away, the place where Buddha passed away, Paranirvana. So then after three weeks later, all my money is gone. So I have to completely stay on the street. And there's one kind of small restaurant. Normally I go there when I have money, I eat food from there. So then I went there and told them that now all my money is finished. So can you give me leftover food? They said, okay, they will give me the leftover food. So you have to come in the night. So I went there every night and took the leftover food. And that food is, has maybe virus or food poison or something. I have diarrhea, oh. vomiting for three days. No money for medicine. So I just drink water. There's a well, well water, you know, nearby. There's just like do this, tuck, 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 like this. Then water is coming. You have to run very fast. Otherwise, when you reach to the, 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 what are your tip? Mm-hmm. The water is already gone, so have to back and forth. And you were doing this while sick. While sick, yeah, I'm doing that. Then after three days later, I thought maybe I'm going to die. So the, the day fourth, in the afternoon around two p two three p.m. Oh, I have very nervous. I think I'm going to die. What should I do? Should I go back or stay? If I go back, just one phone call is okay. I can go back. So they may come and pick me up. So then in the end, I decided to stay. So prepare for dying. Prepare for dying. So then in the morning, around 2 a.m., I cannot move my body. So we have the dying meditation, what we call kind of like practice. So I'm doing the dying meditation, and then I cannot see my eyes, cannot hear, and then slowly my body becomes paralyzed. And I'm try to rest my mind in the meditation, you know, what we call open awareness. You just rest your mind into the awareness itself. So awareness, it is free, always there, and rest, rest. I feel like I'm falling and floating and so many things. In the end, I almost become unconscious. Almost, okay, now I'm losing my mind. Suddenly, wang. I say wrong, but I cannot put into word. My mind completely open. It's like blue sky with sun shining without cloud. So clear, so vivid. And there's no, what we call normal monkey mind. Mm-hmm. The mind which is image, the verbal, all these things are gone. So almost like I know, but without thinking. And that experience, there's no time. No direction, no front, no back, completely open. 
and I was in that state maybe five, six hours. Then it continued. Am I die? No. <laughs> <laughs> and try to move my finger, cannot move. Just like sometimes when we have lucid dream and we try to move our body, we cannot move, right? Just like that. I thought my breath is stopped, but I don't know, maybe not, because I cannot really check. But I know my finger cannot move. Then in the end, I feel like this is not the time for me to die now. Some kind of that feeling comes. And that feeling becomes stronger, and that has some kind of sense of compassion. And suddenly I feel my body then. And slowly, 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 I can move, I I can hear the sound. Normally there's so many noise around, which is we cannot hear. Because I hear so many things. And so I can look, then I look around. So then, before that street was not so nice, you know, I don't want to stay there, it's not belong, I'm not belong here. So somehow I'm not really connected. But after that, wow, it's like my home. And the, the ground is so nice and the trees around there and there's leaves green shining, the branches and so I feel like so mm, gratitude and so much appreciation. Just can appreciate that, that I have these eyes and can see I have, I'm still breathing. And so body become very light, so happy. Then I want to drink the water because it feels thirsty. So I thirsty. I stand up and try to get the water and I fell down, become unconscious. So I woke up in the hospital. Someone took me in the hospital and they put this, uh, what do you call IV. IV, yeah. yeah. And I woke up and I thought, where am I? So the person gave me some money also. They said, I will pay your bill. So that was nice. And I stayed at the hospital one night. And next day they said, come back again. But I didn't go back. Then from there I went to the Himalaya mountains. To the mountains? Mountains, yeah. To the mountains. And continued your retreat. Yeah. How did you and and you were just living in the mountains? Yeah, from there in summer I go to the Himalaya mountains, like Nepal, India, I go to different m- mountains. And in the mountains people give support. Those I'm Lama, you know, monk, Tibetan monk, who do retreat in the mountains. The most in the mountain there are Buddhists, the local people. So they're very happy who do retreat in the cave. They give food. They sometimes even I say no. They bring so many things. So in the mountain, nice. And during summer, I come down from mountain because in the mountain it's too cold. So I went to like Buddhist and Hindus holy places like sadhu. I become sadhu. A wandering yeah mendicant, yes, something yeah. like that. So then I I went to some different ashram, you know, Hindu ashram. So I can take some free food also. So I know where to get free food. <laughs> so four and a half years, no contact. Did you have contact with your family? Did you? No. I sent one letter from one of the retreat. So, but they cannot contact me. I just sent a letter. I sent a letter two times. How did you decide that it was over? I think the earthquake. There's big earthquake in Nepal. Yeah. So then I was a little bit concerned. And that makes me my retreat a little bit shorter. It was going to be longer than four and a half years? Maybe. Because because it's not particular plan. Maybe five years, maybe six years, maybe ten years. But then somehow four and a half years, I come back. Did 
What do you think the benefit of that retreat was for you? There's two things, I think. One is I really want to develop my meditation and what we call it. If we develop certain experience, then if we um, face difficult challenge in our life, it's really good for meditation to develop. Another one is to learn about the life. So before I'm like Dharma Prince, so I don't know much about life beyond my circle, right? Mm. So I learn a lot. So I'm now thinking that I'm become more human than before. You met a lot of people. Many people, different people. I have to learn how to cook, how to collect the wood, how to. Uh, I, I need to survive by myself, right? So many things I learn. And after that experience you described earlier, where you almost died, right. are you less afraid of death now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that time, only two hours is very challenging. After that, I try to accept, and now ready to die. But I'm not saying commit suicide, those things, you know. But what we call try to accept. And if it's natural death, it's okay. If it's a natural death, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Natural death meaning I'm not forcing to die, but it comes spontaneously. Yes. Um, I'm very sen- I have a, a whole long list of questions that I realize I'm now not going to be able to ask you because I know you need to get back to a lunch, so I'm going to be sensitive okay. to your time. Um, Thank you. Would you come back sometime? Yeah. So, um, I will come. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you. it. It was yes. a, a, an enormous pleasure to sit here and, and to be able to speak to you, you for much, an hour. Man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so happy that you have very great questions, and it's very happy and fun talking with you. All right, there's another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you like it, I'm going to hit you up for a favor. Please subscribe to it, review it, and rate it. Uh, I want to also thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Josh Cohan, Lauren Efron, Sarah Amos, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. And uh, hit me up at Twitter, Dan B. Harris. See you next time. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. 
Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.